What's up, what's up, what's up? This is Wilkie Law and Kyle Krieger. Say what's up. What's up? We are the Lighthouse Educated Development Project, and this is the LED Project Podcast. This is number 19. Number 19. Last time we said it was 17 or 18. Well, ended up that I was right. No, I'm just kidding. But it ended up being 19. This is number 19 for us. And it's an exciting one for us. This one is exciting because as we're jumping into uh, school, you know, everything's going. People have met. You've met your class. You've seen your classroom. You've gotten stuff moved in. You've probably decorated and done a bunch of stuff right now. Um, now you've gotten the aesthetics done. We're going to deal with today about the story that's going to be told about your, your teaching. Um but before we jump into the podcast and a meeting, we're going to do our segment called Clear the Air. I saw you take a deep breath right there, Kyle, so that means that you must have something to get off your chest. So go ahead, get it off your chest. Um, yeah, my Clear the Air this time is really just a, a debt of gratitude to or an acknowledgement of gratitude to the people uh, that I have in my life, uh, namely, namely my really close friends and my and my family, who have, over the course of the last uh, three ish months, I've put them through quite a roller coaster of of emotions and different things going on. But uh, the highs and lows have been hard. I mean, well, the highs have been really high, and the lows were really low. Um, but, you know, they've seen me through and, and helped me come out the other side and, and really helped me to realize that, uh, you know, I've, I'm in such a fortunate situation to have fallen into such a great job where I was close to, to be back with my family is great. But, I mean, to, to really have supportive friends and family who not just are tell you what you want to hear supportive, <laughs> but are, you know, tell you the hard things and make you realize the reality of the situation because you – You've said to me before, and and it is, I am an eternal optimist, but at times, you know, optimism can can blind you a little bit. And I was really lucky to have people that reality checked me and really helped me understand the reality of my situation, both positive and negative. Uh, and I'm I'm so fortunate to have those kind of people in my life. You you being one of the the core members of that, so thank you for that. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Wouldn't have it any other way. Wouldn't have yeah. it any other way. Um, my clear the air. Um, I don't want to go political, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little light hearted. Um, <clears throat> my clear the air is just basically revolving around. Hearing teachers now, as school is about to start, say things like, school's about to start. As if that, I know, I know, I know we talked about it on the last podcast about Mike's, I, I talked about my excitement for the start of this year. And, you know, I compared it to a carpenter getting wood, you know, getting a new shipment of wood and the, the vast amount of opportunities and uh, challenges that that wood presents to create something new. But it's just amazing that teachers in our craft will, you know, and get ready. We're, we're not perfect. We're human beings. We're not teacher bots that come out the closet without emotion, without feelings. 
But we should be some type of professional that when you've given, given time off. And granted, I mean, this year, I didn't get a lot of time off. I think I may have gotten maybe two weeks off in total. Um, to me, that may, you know, I'm still ready to go back. You know, it's like there, you can't really have an off switch when you're really focused and dialed in on doing what you're, what you're designed to do. It's like me saying, oh, today I don't want to be me. Yeah, so I'm good. So my clear the air is just, you know, I just want teachers to get out of that mindset of got to get back in it again to just shift it to not, but ah, I get to get in here again, you know, and, and start shaping the world. So, I mean, just going around shopping, you all we can tell teachers in stores because we're the ones that's buying fabric and we're buying things for our classroom. So I'll just strike up a conversation I'm like, yeah, you ready? Getting ready for back to school? Yeah, I'm a teacher. You know, it's like, oh, wow, I am too. You know, aren't you excited? You know, da da da, da. You know, and it's just, you know, Miss Miss Wilma, she teaches in Klein, gave me the best advice ever. She's a 20-plus-year veteran teacher with the zeal of a first-year teacher. And I asked her what's her secret. And she said, "I'm the. we have the one profession where we get to start over fresh every year. We get a new group of customers. We get a group, new group that we can use, that we can be able to mold and shape. Um... And that gets her excited all over again. So that's kind of, I adopted her her principles and said, hey, you know what? That's going to be my principle too. So, all right. So, um, that's clear the air. Got that out the way. We're going to take a break this week from our We Connect cards. Um, but again, if you don't know, Dad Littlefield, Will Wise, weand.me.com. I mean, weand.me. And go and check them out. Uh, the creators, co-founders of We Connect. So this week we're going to talk about a favorite quote. Favorite quote that you've heard or that you've seen somewhere. So Kyle, we'll start with you or do you want me to kick this one off? Um, you can start with me. That's fine. Um, I, I heard, and I'm not going to attribute this to you because I don't know that you're the first person to ever say this, but you said to me recently in the last few weeks that um, sometimes our silence speaks the loudest. And and that's uh, something that I really have needed to hear the last few weeks because, you know, there's a lot that I want to say and there's a lot that I feel like I could say in certain situations, but... I'm I'm learning that there are times when saying nothing saying nothing doesn't mean you actually don't say anything. There are times where saying nothing speaks the loudest message you could you could want it to. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Oh, okay. Awesome. Silence is golden. Yeah, how about you? Um one of mine, my, my um, a pastor, Dr. Boyd, sent me a quote that says, you can't win in your life when you're losing in your mind. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we're, 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 we, you and I both are very, very big proponents of, the, um, of mindfulness, of paying attention to what we're thinking, how we're thinking, uh, understanding that those thoughts give way to actions and habits and ultimately our, our destiny and who we are as a person. So that really resonated to me. It kind of hit me in a place where I really wanted to be. 
uh, what I need to get back to with just paying attention to being mindful of, of, of what I'm thinking and what I'm putting in my mind, you know, um, you know, he also, he always gives us this analogy of that we have to become, um, air traffic controllers of our mind. And that, you know, sometimes when there are things trying to land in our mind, we have to kind of take the, 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 the lights and wave it off and say, no, you can't land here. You can't land here. I need you to go somewhere else uh, and allow those things that are good and wave those in so they can land and take root in what we're trying to do. So um, a lot of people want to win in life, but they haven't conquered their mind. And if you can't conquer your mind, ultimately your life is not going to follow suit. So um, that's my quote. So Yeah, what you were saying right there kind of reminds me of the couple of times in Top Gun where they request to do a flyby and the guy in the tower is like negative ghost rider. The pattern is full. You know, it's yeah. a funny moment, moment in the movie, but it's, you know, something that you really have to do is to be able to just, you know, I mean, cause we can't always stop the negativity from coming into our mind, but I think you can acknowledge it and, and work hard to be able to let it go and just get it out of there as soon as you can. Because it, you know that's so critical. It's funny you say that. Let it go. I was just reading an article that was um, they did some research saying that to have healthy relationships that you should abide by what they're calling the seventy-two hour rule. That anything that's over, older than seventy-two hours, you can't bring that up anymore. You get over it, and move on. If you hadn't dealt with it and gotten it resolved in seventy-two hours, leave it alone and move on from it. Um, and I just kind of, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, well, sounds easier than it really is. But when you think about it, why would you want to hold on to something? A resolution is a resolution. It doesn't mean it's going to be a resolution in your favor. It's not necessarily meaning that if it's not in your favor, it's not going to be for your benefit. But a resolution is just that, a resolution. It gets it done. It gets it over with and allows both parties or both individuals or both groups to be able to, to move on, to heal and to begin their development in other places, so um, yeah, that just I just that just came up when I when you when you were speaking. So yeah, right on, man. All right, so let's get to let's get to the to the to the meat of this podcast, talking about the difference between an autobiography and a biography. Um, does your stories match? So let's talk a little bit about, you know, let's talk a little bit about the autobiography. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a concept we've been working on for a while, um, as, as a test of authenticity, you know, and we've framed it as if you are a teacher is the story you tell about yourself the same story that your students would tell about you? So I think with, you know, for starting just with the autobiography, I think it's really important that we're honest in our autobiography. Um, we do an auto honest assessment of who we really are and what we, we've really done. Um, and I think the what we've really done part is the key because mm -hmm. it's so easy for us when we're, writing an autobiography to be overtaken by what our intentions were. Well, this is what I meant to do. This is, this is what my intention was. This is, 
this is why I did this, we can justify and, and add intention. Um, whereas a biography is going to be more just fact-based, like this is what you did. And a, bi a biography might analyze why you did it. But I think the, the key thing with the autobiography, and especially as we're framing it for teacher, is you have to let go of what your intentions were or what your justifications were, and you have to be really upfront about what the story actually is. Because I think that's the only way that you can really get a good grasp on whether the story you would tell is the same story your kids would tell. Right. And you, you, you hit it on the head when you talk about the authenticity is that we just have to learn to be our authentic self and in that tell our authentic story. You know, there's no need to make up a story. Tell your story. You know, I, was, I saw a meme the other day that basically said, you know, you're wonderful, you're special because there's no one else like you. You know, each one of us are created as as an individual, and we don't. You know, there's not another. There's not another Wilkie Law, the third. You know, born July 26 in Houston, Texas. You know, in the mid to late 70s, um, <laughs> that you know that had the experiences that were unique to me. Uh, so it's like. When you're telling your story, be authentic with your story and be know that you are be 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 focused on the fact that you're making you're writing a story. Because I think sometimes we we live our lives not realizing that we're still writing a story, whether we're aware of it or not. You know, whether we know that we're actually scripting out a story, we are. We're writing a story every single day, every single word that we say is a story that we're telling about who we are. And, um, yeah, that's, um, and I, be authentic to yourself. Yeah, and I think to, to add on to that point, I think it's really important that we're authentic um, on not just our good days, but we're authentic on our bad days. And we have, you know, a huge part of writing or, you know, telling a good story is be, having the humility to admit the mistakes or the bad days or the failures and those kind of things. Cause I, I think, like I said, with, with, you know, you know what you meant to do and you know what your intentions were. It's really easy to gloss over and put a nice kind of shine on whatever you did because you know, it, it, well, it wasn't what I meant to do. It just kind of happened that way or, or this kind of thing to where you're not, you know, being upfront about what really happened. And also you're not giving yourself the opportunity to just say like, you know, Hey, today was not a good day. I did these certain things, these certain things happened. And I think if we're going to, like I said, it, th this whole thing is an authenticity test to be able to, to really get teachers to focus on actions and what you did and what actually happened rather than, well, you know, this is the lesson plan I wrote, but it got blown up in the first five minutes. And then the rest of what happened wasn't my fault. <laughs> you know, and maybe that's a little bit drastic to say, but it's a slippery slope when you ignore what's really happening and gloss over it with your intentions. Yeah, I love that was very powerful what you said that we're often overtaken by our intentions when we're telling the autobiography. You know, in writing, they tell you when you're writing your own story, you have the ability to embellish a little bit. Um, 
And I think our stories is already so unique and already um, so authentic that you don't, there's really not a need for embellishment when you're telling your story. You know, that experience, some of them are very worthwhile. Some of them are not really worth being repeated. Um, I don't know. I just, um, yeah. So we've talked about autobiography. Now let's flip it over and let's talk about a biography. Well, yeah. And, and obviously we know a biography is, is the life story of, you know, someone written by an outside observer. Mm-hmm. And the context we put this in, in, in this development or this training is that in order for you to really be authentic, the story your kids tell about you has to match the story you're telling about yourself. Because your kids are going to tell a story about you regardless of whether you want them to or not. And it's just, you know, with authenticity, it comes back to one of our, one of our other key words, which is intentionality. If you are not intentional about the story you are telling your kids and that story is not authentic to you and who you are, then either the kids will know it right away or at some point you will crack. Mm -hmm. And then in that moment, all of that trust and all of that relationship that's been built will fade in an instant. And it's going to take you so much longer, if ever, to rebuild that trust. Right. Right. You're so true. And, you know, it's funny. I don't think a lot of teachers think about it in the terms of my students are going to be writing my biography. Um, that they don't really look and see, okay, how am I, as you say, intentionally going into each day? intentionally interacting with each student because the students are not going to write about your intentions. Like you say, they're not going to write about your intentions because they don't know them. They're going to write about your actions. They're going to write about your responses. They're going to write about how you interacted with them and other people. And that's going to paint a picture. And it actually, you know, sad to say it writes a bigger picture, paints a bigger picture than, um, then what your autobiography will. Because again, we know that in an autobiography, people are going to embellish. People are going to say, if it was, I had six drinks at the bar, I had 15 drinks at the bar. And I, you know, we're going to do that to make the story more interesting, to, to, to make people want to, to do it. But really the story is in what happened documenting that experience and being able no matter how simple or how complex that story is telling it to its fullest you don't have to be the extrovert that's running around with your pom-poms and your bullhorn and your megaphone and screaming and yelling to the rafters about how excited you are you could be that silent one that's going about doing what you're supposed to do functioning in what you're supposed to be functioning in, creating and building relationship with your students and that's going to tell a story about who you are and it's going to have just as strong of an impact as anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I think, you know, when we tell our own stories, you know, we, we gloss over so many of the details and, <laughs> you know, 
it's well, so. Let's be honest. We forget about them sometimes, Kyle. Yeah, we we just we forget about all the steps that it took, and we wanted right. to distill it down to like two or three or four big moments that got us to where we are. But we forget that it's the day to day, you know, the actions you take every day, the small things that you you do over and over that allow you to build that story with your kids. Mm-hmm. You know, because our our kids hold on. You know, our kids hold on to all of it. Like they they remember all the actions you've taken. Right. And and they know the details and and like you said it's not about it's not about being what you think the greatest teacher is or what you think you know what kind of teacher you should be and you know I know they you know they teach young teachers to you know just go steal from whoever you know if it, if somebody's got something that was working you know steal and make it your own but it's really hard to know how to make it your own when you're still learning your own story and developing it all the time so i think the other real important thing with the autobiography is to understand that it's constantly changing like and it's constantly developing like you said your story is continually being written every day and and i think that if we accept that we can take a lot of pressure off ourselves to not feel like we have to have this perfectly knit together story and explain every little thing that we do we can't you know if you understand your story is continually going you can admit like hey today was a really rough day i i came in i wasn't myself i was feeling abcxyz and then the kids were this and and you can say but this is what i learned from it not like Oh, you know, you gloss over, or you blame the kids for whatever it is that they were doing or, you know, whatever it is. I think it's just, it's another thing that gets to that core tenant that we have of authenticity being the most important thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when we're looking at how that works with the authenticity and the autobiography is that the, the real, you know, in layman's term, the realer I am. With myself, the real of my story is going to be. And I've never, you know, like, you know, when I tell people stories that, you know, I was sharing a story with with a pastor friend of mine about my college days. And he looked at me and he said, man, you actually tell people that story. I say, why wouldn't I want people to be to be delivered and transformed? Because I was, you know, if something changed my life then why wouldn't I want to share that with someone? And typically we don't share things with people because number one, we don't want that accountability, Kyle. I don't want to tell you that I'm working on trying to lose some weight because when I, when you see me eating those Reese's peanut butter cups, I don't want you to come and take them out of my hand or I don't want you to make me feel bad for having them. You know, um, so we don't tell other people about the things that we're dealing with or the things that we're going through because we feel like if we don't, uh, they won't notice. Yeah. But then their story that they're going to tell about you is going to be totally different than the story that you're going to have to write about yourself. Because as a writer, I'm going to have to write about those addictions. I'm going to have to write about those nights that they, if I'm going to be authentic. And then when someone else is writing another story and those two stories don't come together. You know, when I told my students, I was like, you know, I battled addiction. When I was in college, I can tell you from from it's it's real. You're going to encounter some things. And addiction is not just drugs. It's drugs. It's, it can be addiction to, to soda pop. You know, there are people I know people who literally have Dr. Pepper for breakfast, lunch and dinner. That's an addiction. 
And they say, oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's no different than you having a coffee. Coffee is an addiction if you're having it every single day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, um, I, I remember you were talking, and we were talking about, you were saying, hey, I gave up coffee for a while because I realized I was always wanting it. My body was craving it to the point to where it wasn't even having an effect. I was just consuming caffeine just for the sake of consuming it because my body needed it. And that made me wonder, and I stopped drinking soda for a while, and then I started realizing, like day two or three, I got a headache. Because my body was saying, normally you're putting something in me that gives me these this dopamine and these endorphins going, and I'm not getting it right now. It's an addiction, and we don't really pay attention to it. So, you know, it's just being honest with people. And you don't have to tell the whole story. You don't have to go in and say, hey, you know, I used to do this and do that. No, you can say, I battled with something. I battled with addiction. I battled with rage. I battled with being cons consistent. I battled with being on time. I battled with, with getting my life together so that the people around you don't realize, they realize quickly that you're not perfect. They realize that you're flawed. They realize that you're a person just like they are. So it makes them want to open up to you just that much more. Yeah. Because yeah. you're like me. And now I can talk to you because I know you're going to understand. You're not going to judge me because of what I'm going through because I see now you going through the same thing. And I think it came back to, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or we were just talking about it. You know, we want to make the kids realize that they're not alone. Like whatever you're going through, there's someone else that has gone through it and is going through it right now. And we might not go through the exact same things that they go through, but everybody's going through things, you know, and, and I think it also becomes a really powerful, you know, like to explicitly talk to your kids about this technique and just say, Hey, you know, like you're having a bad time with, with Mr. Miller. Okay. Well, what, what do you think the story he's telling is, or how do you think he's describing this situation compared to how you're describing it? You know, have you talked to him about that? Have you thought it's another way to just give kids another perspective on, on, you know, that same thing. Like, and, and I think it's just really powerful to understand, you know, the more we can, you know, let kids know that their experiences are unique to them, but on the same token, they're not alone, that everybody's got stories and everybody's got hardships and tough times. I think, I think that's a place where, you know, humility comes from to where you you start to realize that yes i'm capable of so much but yes i'm also going through difficult or dark times and i'm not the only one right right i am not an island yeah you know and, and i think you know coming back to what i said with clear the air there is a tendency for me when I'm going through tough times to try to go internal mm. and try to try to deal with it myself and figure it out and do those things. But I really took a step forward these last few months because I was very open and upfront with people. And I was very, you know, cause I was in uncharted territory for me on, on a lot of fronts. Mm -hmm. And I didn't wait until I was at the bottom to have gotten advice and to have gotten counsel. You know, I didn't wait until I was at a point where I couldn't do anything but like surrender. I I had been in that point the whole time. And I think having that humility has made this transition and this time a lot easier on me. And it's a point where, 
you know, when I go internal, like I only hear my own voice. So then when I hear someone else's, I question whether or not it's valid. You know, but when you're an open person and you have humility and you openly tell your story, invite others to do the same, you, you put yourself in a spot where you don't have to just rely on the story you're telling yourself. Because just as easy as we can put a, a, a positive shine on our own story, mm-hmm. we can just as easily put a super negative spin on it. Mm-hmm. And, and we can go internal and we can blame and, and shame ourselves. And that is just as bad, as not, if not worse, as glossing over our negative with, with the positive. You know, and I was just reading something that I wrote about four years ago where I said, you know, there are three things that we all that, that hold us in a, in a in a in a holding pattern in our lives and keep us from really achieving what we're supposed to. And that's guilt from what we've done, shame of what we've done and self-condemnation of what we've done. And when those three things are present and there's no healing that takes place amongst those three things then we're stuck and we're forced to repeat the same thing over and over and over and over again. One of my good friends, Chris Philman, his grandfather would always say, call him a circle jerk. You know, you're just calling this circle and, and you're not doing anything to expand the circle. You're not doing anything to, to shrink the circle. You're not doing anything to get out of the circle. So you're just stuck in this pattern of going around and you wonder why Every time I do this, it's the same result. And every time I do that, it's the same result. But the other day, ask yourself, what is the common denominator within your circle? You. <laughs> so then you start looking at, I was, you know, I was watching a uh, video the other day and they were saying, if you really want to be successful, find a few, I think it was Gary Vee was talking about, find some people that's going to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Find some people who, who, who are going to tell you you tell them what it is that you're working on and you hold them accountable for holding you accountable for the things that you're working on. And, and, and he even said, give it some time because they're going to need to have some time to be able to really express or to know how to express to you what what they're experiencing. I mean, what they're seeing in you and, and what you can do differently. So I think that that is huge um, for teachers that when we get in these circles and we start talking with each other, that we find somebody that we trust. And we find somebody that that we that understands us in a safe place, you know. Um, Parker Palmer in his book uh, Hidden Treasure, Hidden Wholeness, he talks about creating circles of trust, and that when you put get this circle of trust together, he first starts it off as little leaves that come together, and they're vulnerable to the wind and the thing that's going on. But as you introduce more things into the circle. The leaves get more weightedness, so he set pebbles on top of the leaves, little small stones on top of the leaves. And as you introduce more things, now those people that are within that circle become more grounded. And each thing you introduce into the circle gets it grounded. And even though your circle may not get larger, it becomes more profound and more pronounced to where now this circle that normally could not exist by itself now can stand as a structure all by itself. Yeah. And support a structure all by itself. You know, and, and to your point like that with what Gary Vee was saying, you know, in this time that I've I've gone through, like, I mean, you and I been tight now four years, Ben and I five years, you know, my friends from college going on ten years, you know, the friends I grew up with, you know, forever and my family, 
you know, I, I know I have those people who I have that trust with that they, that they know that they can say this to me. And I've gotten so much better just between you and I, we've been talking about this for a year, you know, with not being defensive. And I think in terms of your story, like when people try to tell you what they see as your story, like it's super easy to get defensive because you don't want to confront, you know, what Mm -hmm. the real story is and what, you know, what it is. And, and I'm so fortunate there. And it's, it's just a point where you, you, I know I said, you know, my, my word for the year is value. And and that's really what I want to do when, with my kids, but right underneath value, like humility, I think is just such an underrated trait because if, and I think I've, uh, there's a couple books uh, by Ryan holiday uh, one's called The Obstacle is the Way and one one's called Ego is the Enemy where he talks about how, you know, ego gets in the way of all the good things. And, and he talks about how humility is, you know, really like one of the, the best virtues you can have because it allows you both to appreciate the good that you do and the value you have. But on the same token, it, it helps you to realize that you're not, you're not above all of it. You, you're, you, you have things that you're not great at, you make mistakes, you do all those things. But I, I think I've gotten so much better this year at at not wanting to be defensive when I get critical feedback. And I and of all the things that I've worked on and done in the last year, I think that's probably one of the most important is to be open to feedback. But now that but on the same token this is feedback, like I said, from people that I trust, that I right. know I have, that I know are coming from a place of love and 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 of respect and honesty. I would not do the same thing for someone I met two months ago, or you know, three weeks ago, or someone on the internet, or or whatever. I mean, you could even say it with you know friends that you're not really in touch with. Like, the, people want to jump in and give their two cents. But you have to be diligent about that story because, like, like we said, this all of this circling back to where we were is is about the you know the two of the core principles we have is intentionality and authenticity. Like you you can't be authentic if you don't know your story, right? And you can't be unle- authentic unless your story that you tell matches the story that other people tell. You're only authentic if what you what you say that your story matches what people say, and the only way that's going to match is if your actions match what you've said. Right. You know, I'm gonna tell you, we shared a moment. Um, we being the uh, leadership team at my school, we were at a conference, and the entire leadership team was there, and the presenter gave us an assignment to where we were to put everybody's name in a bowl, write it on a sticky note, put it in a bowl, pull it out one at a time and go around the table and everybody shares one thing about that person that they really love. One thing that they bring to the table that they love, one thing that they've done for them that they love, just one thing and go around the entire table doing that with every person there. And I talked with other 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 teams that were there and theirs were not, was nowhere near as powerful as our experience because 
we got to talking about things that we wouldn't say normally on a, on a normal day-to-day basis uh, to each other. You know, I appreciate your loyalty to the students. You know, I appreciate your commitment to the team. You know, giving examples of when that's been possible. I mean, people were in tears in our group. Like they were in tears because of that. So I think that when we start to acknowledge that authenticity in other people, we actually encourage that sense of authenticity in those people. You know, so the moment you can really begin to um, pour into, is what I like to use, to other people, then you feel them and now they're able to pour into others. And that kind of fluid motion of pouring and emptying at the same time means, number one, that I'll never be full without passing on something that I have and that I'll never be empty without something passing through to fill me. You know, and and just to add to this, this is something I hadn't even thought about. You know, there's also value in being open, you know, to this, to other, you know, not just to your autobiography, but to biographies, because when you're in those spaces and you, you know, like I said, it's so hard to hear negative feedback sometimes, but there are people who don't want to hear positive feedback. Like they don't think they deserve it. They don't think right. they're worthy of it. And, and that is just a thing, you know, like you said, you can't, you can't pour from an empty cup. You know, and it's funny because you said that you, you know, you've learned to accept that constructive feedback. And I think that the key word in that constructive feedback is not necessarily feedback, but it's constructive. Meaning that though these are people who are correcting you to build you. They're correcting you to make you better. You know, even the Bible says he chastens those which he loves. Hasten not unto the correction. You know, it's taught, we're taught that if, you know, I remember growing up, my mom used to always tell me, oh, I'm like, but their parents let them stay out till midnight. Their parents let them stay out till 11 o'clock on a school night. They get to sit outside and do this and do this. She said, I'm not their parent. She said, and you will see that as you get older, that any parent that lets their child just get away with doing anything, I question whether or not they really care about them. Our roles as parents are to protect our kids. We put rules, regulations, parameters, and guidelines in place to protect our kids. Does that mean they're going to follow them all the way to a fault? No, sometimes they make mistakes. We're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. But we can't say, in most cases, that the it was not set for us, but we just strayed out of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that as we, you know, as we go forward and move into this this school year and get deeper into it, that we just keep this notion of does my stories match? If I open up my autobiography and one of my students open up my biography, will there be elements in those two that go that that's a little equal across the board? Now, granted, they're not going to know my personal life. They're not going to know personal details about me. But they'll be able to say, even if they didn't know it, they'll probably be able to look at it and be like, oh, that makes sense now why Mr. Law always got mad when I said that. Oh, now knowing this, I know why Mr. Krieger got upset whenever we would say this and say that. It's because he lost his mom and that triggered a reaction for him. So even though they may not know the information, the information that they get won't just be so, oh, my God, I can't believe that. 
you know, my pastor used to always say he loved me. One thing he loved about me was the fact that I was so open and honest with him and that no one could tell him something about me that he felt was out of character because I had already told him and shared with him those vulnerable parts of my character, you know, those flawed parts, those, those not so good parts. And I shared with him the good parts. And I think that the more we do that in a trusting environment with individuals, we can really, really begin to, um, to mold and shape our society. I mean, that, that's, that's really what we want people to be is to become productive citizens. It's not about a test. It's being productive in the classroom. It's about making sure that, that the, the legacy of these United States of America we're living in, I keep trying not to get on my political soapbox, so I'm going to avoid it, but that, that, that the fabric that we've woven, that the forefathers have woven, is, is nurtured, and we're able to actually move forward and, and, and do, do better as we get older. So, right. Um, anything else you want to add in on, on that? Uh, no, man, I feel like that's really good. And I would just want to encourage people to really, you know, not just think about it with your practice, but really open it up to kids and, and get them start to start to think about, you know, it, I think it's just a better way of asking kids, can you see this from someone else's perspective? Mm-hmm. You know, cause there's a lot of kids that are going to, get defensive at that or, or whatever it is. But I mean, I think if you approach it that way and you just say, Hey, you know, like, you know, Mr. Mr. Law's got a story here in this too. Have you thought to ask what his story is? Have you thought to really, you know, even just, I mean, and that's with the kids that I have, you know, having the limited number of kids who have had some trouble backgrounds, just when they're out, just being like, hey, have you thought to just ask people, you know, rather than making up a story hmm. about them, have you thought to ask? Have you thought to tell them what your story is? Right. You know, rather than, you know, having confrontations or, or guessing or, you know, all those things. I feel like it's, it's a good way to approach that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that pretty much sums up this segment going into that. Um, does your stories match? Does yeah. your story match? Um, so we're going to end it today with one of another tip from Kyle. The segment we call Kyle's Health Tip. He's helping us all try to be a little bit healthier and um, live life a little bit better. So go ahead, Kyle. Um, last time we talked about uh, meal prepping and and whatever whatever that entails for you whatever meals and those tips so you can go back and listen to that episode but i think um i think really the next thing i would want to do is is talk about how um i'm a big believer in the crossfit model but i understand that not everybody has a dedicated time to dedicate an hour to fitness and no not everybody especially up around where i am now it's not like houston where there's a crossfit gym on every corner but i really would encourage people to look around on the internet and find workouts that give you intensity that don't take a long time. You know, you can do a lot of really good work with a jump rope and you can do burpees or pushups in 10 or 15 minutes, you know, and, and I'm not going to beef with anyone for walking or jogging or, or whatever it is that you find exercise. But I think if you really want to get fit, you got to put some intensity in there. So whether it's, you know, 
going to a class or going, you know, going to the gym or whatever it is, you know, find ways to crank up the intensity, whether it's, you know, putting yourself on a timer or, you know, making sure you do a certain number of reps each time. You know, I want to do five push-ups and 10 sit-ups and 10 air squats every minute for 10 minutes. You know, hold yourself to a standard. I think that's where you get intensity is when you hold yourself to a standard. So make sure that when you're training, uh, whether whatever it is that you're holding yourself to a standard, whether it's swimming, whether it's in a gym, whether it's running. Um, and you know, that comes back to your nutrition too. Like make sure that you've set standards for what you're trying to achieve. I, I think that's an important goal. And, and once you set the standard, really log it, find a way to write it down in a notebook or on an app on your phone or, or whatever to make sure that you're tracking it as well. So that would be my tip for the week. That's awesome. You know, and that, that goes right along with my buddy Greg, who, who he encouraged me when I was trying, when I, you know, when I go to the gym to, you know, I'm like, you know, I need something. I like the competitive nature of CrossFit. I think when you're in that environment, and it's not that I'm competing when we work out, I'm not competing with you, but it's that challenge to be better and to force yourself around people that are encouraging you, that communal aspect of it. Um, but he said, you know, every time you go to the gym, try to do something a little bit better. So I, for mine, it was the ability to uh, complete a mile on the treadmill. Can I, can I get faster every single time I go? And um, it started shaving off. I mean, you know, with my bad back issues, I can't really run out full, full out sprint yet. I need to build those muscles still. And so it started off with just, okay, let me just, let me do a casual walk and see what my time is just doing a casual, consistent walk nonstop to see where would I end up. And, you know, when I got that time, the next time I went to the gym, okay, that was a casual walk. Didn't really get my heart going that much, but how much can I, how much faster can I do it this time? So I would increase the speed. Sometimes I would increase it too much and then have to dial it back a little bit, but I still would find out that I would shave a little bit off of my time, even if it was a matter of seconds, just shaving something off that time to where, I went from 21 to where now I'm roughly right around 15, you know, 15 minutes a mile doing a brief jog. I actually tried to run the other day and it's just, like I said, with my back, it just was, was kind of hurting. But it's just, like you say, finding something that works and challenging yourself to stick to it and doing it better. Um, that's, that's my focus. I mean, I wanted to really put it in more practice during the summer, but I mean, hey, yeah. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to make a shirt that says you don't have to wait till Monday. You know, that's everybody's golden lie. Oh, I'll wait till Sunday and start my thing. Oh, I'll wait till Monday. No, the moment you start, start then. Yeah. You know, so I got up this morning, did my meditation. It was raining. So I just did a couple of push-ups, a couple of burpees here. Did my uh, resistance bands just right here in the living room. You know, didn't take quite a whole lot of anything. Um, but it's just being consistent, being consistent, being consistent. Yeah, man, that's consistency wins the race. Right on, and that's a that's a great, and you know that's with training or with teaching or with anything in life, the consistent thing you do over and over is way better than the great thing you do once or twice. Every now and again. Yeah. So don't try to be big shot. Don't try to shoot the gym out. Be the one that comes in that can just hit the one shot. Be the one that can hit five or six shots per quarter, and then or the one that. Or the one that just consistently makes the free throws every time they get there. Right. 
All right, so that sounds good. I think that's a good stopping point. So thank you, Kyle, for that help tip. Hey, thank you got you it, brother. For, for putting up with us again for this podcast for number 19. Um, this year, we're gonna. our goal is to get them out more consistently and make sure we're touching every week. Um, one per week. One per week. I think the information that we give is, is, is critical to to teachers. And so, again, if you know people, you know teachers, share this podcast with them. Uh, send it to them as a link through Facebook. Link them to our page. Let them check us out, uh, www.theledproject.com. And um, I'm excited about the school year. Um, won't talk right now. Have something that's brewing really good uh, that I think is going to be a great opportunity for LED within the next um, couple of weeks. And so um, just keep your ears tuned for this announcement as we as we expand our territory. Yes, sir. Sounds good. All right. So this is Wilkie and Kyle for the Lighthouse Educator Development Project signing off, telling you all to have a great year, great week, and a great school year. Peace.